interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. Welcome to the Raw Selection Private Equity Podcast, interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking their secrets to success. Joining us today is Stephen Madsen, Director of Business Development at Monomoy Capital Partners. Welcome and thank you very much for sharing your insights with us, Stephen. Alex, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So as a customer, if you could give us a 60 to 90 second breakdown of you, please. Absolutely. So Stephen Madsen, uh, Director of Business Development Capital Markets at Monomoy Capital, has been with the firm for just shy of six years now, joined as our first business development hire, brought on to build out the function, grow our deal sourcing efforts, help build out the team, which we've done. And over the last six years, we've really been focused on growing Monomoy's top of the funnel deal flow as well as pushing our conversion and helping us deploy capital. Prior to Monomoy, I was with a group called Deal Nexus, did online deal sourcing and deal marketing. Uh, it was a sort of independent subsidiary within Intralinks, operated a platform that uh, essentially did uh, acted as a almost like speed dating, online dating for companies. We would work with private equity firms, venture capital firms, uh, family offices, credit funds, um, anybody, any corporate strategics, anybody who was an acquirer of businesses, and we would help them find uh, bankers, brokers, intermediaries, business owners who are bringing deals to market. At our height, we had nearly 5,500 deals a year market on the site globally with offices in New York, London, and Hong Kong. Um, and, uh, and we're seeing an average of uh, a little over 5 million USD. Um, Got into that uh, from from having been an expert networking for about five years, working for Gerson Lerman Group in New York and in London, um, where I focused on covering clients in the private equity, private credit, and hedge fund space, um, and started my career out actually a different expert network, Coleman Research Group, where I focused on uh, recruiting, vetting, and working with senior executives in the energy industrial space. Uh, born and raised New Yorker. Uh, spent uh, spent some time abroad, lived in Italy for a while, spent some time at boarding school, uh, and came back to New York for college, went to Columbia. So that, that's my background in a nutshell. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that. Now, for those listening, this is going to be a huge topic and huge deep dive into deal origination. So I know it's a big challenge um, within a lot of private equity firms, so we're really going to hit into that. But kick off things, what's one mistake that you see private equity firms or portfolio companies making and what actions would you suggest to correct them? That's a great question. I'll stick to origination because that's my my area of expertise. The biggest mistake that I see firms making um, is taking what I would call kind of a uh, an either-or approach to sourcing. And by that, if you think about sourcing strategies on a continuum, you have what I'll call the lower market end, which doesn't necessarily mean smaller funds, but there's sort of a lower market approach to sourcing where people tend to be more focused on the number of deals at the top of the funnel, seeing more of the market. Um, and it tends to be very metric driven, uh, very, very top of the funnel driven. Uh, and then you have what I'll call the sort of upper market bucket which tends to be 
much more focused on deep relationships. So uh, depth over breadth um, tends to be uh, focused on converting uh, the deals that happen to come in and winning the ones that the firm wants. And I often see firms that have that take one approach or the other when you don't have to. They're not mutually exclusive. You can do both. And so the, the, you know, the best, in my mind, best in class business development does both. And so from where I sit, uh, fixing that is a longer conversation. I'm sure we'll get into it. How do you fix it? But, but it starts with a mindset shift. And so oftentimes at a firm that might be more what I'll call kind of upper market oriented. And again, there are small firms that are upper market in their approach and mentality, as well as obviously lots of big firms. Um, there may be a reluctance to use systems and put in data and collect data that makes it really hard to track the broad breadth of the market and to pay attention to the top of the funnel. Um, and there may, there's often internal politics that hinder that. Got to get out of those mindsets. On the sort of lower market end, there's often a willingness to discount or undervalue relationships. And if you don't value your counterparties, you don't treat them accordingly. Uh, it's really hard to have the type of relationship with people that can drive capital deployment, that can drive conversion. And so you can see everything, but you don't necessarily have the depth to, to, to get the ones that you want and the depth in your relationships. And so you have to shift your mindset over to one that's more, more relationship oriented, values those relationships. Um, that's the biggest mistake I, 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 I personally, uh, feel like I see firms making. I see it all the time, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll touch on it further as we go through. Absolutely. So, from from speaking with private equity firms across Europe and, and North America, two of the biggest challenges that come through. Fortunately for me, one is talent. Unfortunately for you, the other is deal origination. So, why why from your perspective, why do you think deal origination is such a a pain point for for private equity? Well, there, there are a couple of reasons. Um, to some extent, there's, a, there's an extent to which inherent in the private equity, traditional private equity model, private equity 1.0, you do deals, and when you're doing deals, you're in a bunker. And then you come out of your bunker and you don't have any more deals to work on because you've been under a rock, uh, plugging away, doing the perfect deal for the last however many months. And people have lost touch with you. You weren't looking at your email inbox. You weren't scanning every possible opportunity. You weren't maybe thinking as creatively as you would like to. Um, I think there are likely a lot of firms where their willingness to pass on a deal goes up depending on how many deals they, they have in house. If they're busy, they'll pass on a lot of stuff and they might miss some great opportunities. And if they're uh, if they're slow, they'll, they'll look under a few more, uh, rocks and see if there's any, any value there. So that, that in, creates an inherent challenge in origination that people are just kind of in and out. A lot of firms are start and stop. And so the business development function ultimately springs from a need to fix that and have a consistent market facing person out looking under every, for every opportunity. Um, really, uh, having a constant, consistent dialogue, having someone who's able to say, guys, I know we're busy, but this deal is awesome. Let's, let's dig into it. Um, let's spend time on it. 
and then secondarily, you have uh, an, an aspect where you, when you have a professional who does that full time, they get really good at it, and they just you optimize for for people's talents. So I think that's a that, that's part of the reason. Certainly, in in traditional uh, private equity setups, when you think about the market more broadly, I mean, origination is still a challenge. Origination is a challenge for everybody. Part of it is just the fact that there are a lot of opportunities out there. You got to filter through them. You have to pick your spots. And so there's an inherent uh, challenge in covering the market. Everybody wants to see more, but at the same time, you want to spend your time on the relevant deal. And so walking the line, it, it's just inherently a tough, it's inherently a tough job and one that we, uh, we do um, can always get better, but, but do every day. Absolutely. And so the deal origination aspects, uh, you know, what's your take on, appreciate your position and it's standalone. So what's your take on that being separated as a standalone team and function, which we're seeing more and more of? Um, what's your opinion on the strengths, weaknesses of, of, of that? A great question. Uh, it's certainly a proliferating role. And more and more PE firms are adding business development to their to their team. Uh, the start with the, the con. The big con is, or the big negative is that when the investment team is out doing their own sourcing, they can speak immediately and make a snap decision, and you do cut down some lag time um, where a dedicated business development professional might want to go back and check on something or might not want to chance missing a deal. Um, so you miss a little bit of, there is some efficiency loss there. Having said that, certainly my experience has been, and I think most of my peers would agree with this statement, probably are better off looking and making sure that you checked out that deal. And it does happen sometimes that something that would have been a quick pass is actually a really interesting opportunity and something worth digging into and spending real time on. And so while there is a, a slight con there, it is also a pro. Uh, when you think about the other pros of, of building out standalone business development, it tends to make a lot of sense at firms that invest across more than one industry. Uh, you have a multiple industry focus Having one person who sits across or a team that sits across the firm that can help cross-pollinate best practices, ideas, um, political capital that you accumulate with your counterparties in one area, can you spend it in the other area? Um, really using, um, really having someone who can speak for the whole firm as opposed to just for a single industry vertical has been immensely valuable. And then you have to have a true partnership. Um, the business development as a truly standalone entity doesn't actually work very well. There are firms that have business development in a silo where they don't talk to anybody except maybe bankers and they, uh, collectors are just out there trying to collect books. That's not a good approach, um, to the market. You want a business development team. The business development team needs to be able to speak for the firm needs to be working in partnership with the investment team, needs to be able to continue opportunity, but also that in conversation, um, make sure that everything is kind of teed up 
allow the to be more or less busy as they need to be, to spend more or less time on sourcing as they need to, and to drive more or less, or hopefully drive, obviously drive more ROI on the time they do spend sourcing. Interesting. So I think it's like you'll see, we'll see in uh, in markets now, we'll see you know portfolio companies and we'll have a business development and account management function. And I suppose what you're sharing there realistically is it's when, you, when you've got a deal in the mix, all you focus on could be closing that deal, or at least you're not going to invest as much time. Imagine if you know, you're an investor and you've got absolutely no deals um, in the process, uh, and you're spending all your time doing business development, and, uh, or as it's called deal, deal origination. That amount of time being consistently done all the time is going to bring more deals and more deal flow in. So it, it kind of makes sense in a, in a simplistic fashion. Um, I don't like the term business development. It's a weird title to have. Did origination much preferred from my perspective, but um, that doesn't mean anything. It's uh, opinions only small. But the, okay, so basically it's that kind of standalone position, opportunity to drive. What great, sounds great in premise. You know, obviously it's additional headcount, additional cost, no doubt, from, from that perspective. But what, what kind of returns would, you know, I'm managing partner of a private equity firm and I'm starting to think we could really do with this, which I know a lot of firms are and we're seeing an increasing uh, hiring criteria, especially in the States, the UK's and Europe's usually slow to, to catch on to uh, to emerging trends in private equity. But what, what, do, you, what do you guys, what have you, got, what have you seen from the kind of results of, of having this as a standalone position and, and indeed standalone team as you have at Monowan? So it's a great question. Um, there is some fantastic data from Sutton Place, and I don't have it handy, unfortunately, for this conversation, but uh, they published some data years ago looking at market share uh, and the, the breadth of a firm's target market that they cover and how that relates to returns. And not shockingly, if you have a wider swath of your target market to look at and you have more opportunities to pick from, you can pick better opportunities and you make more money. And at the end of the day, it's all about driving returns. We're in the business of buying companies, improving them, and hopefully selling them at a profit. And when you can better pick the companies to buy and you have more opportunity, you can sell them at a bigger profit. That's the, that's the whole idea. Within Monomoy, I think you know we have more than somewhere between tripled and quadrupled our, our total flow top of the funnel, um, we're able to be more selective. We've doubled the rate at which we close platform deals. If you look at the five years prior to having a business development function versus the, the five years post. And so that's a, um, that's a testament to our ability to look at a wider swath of the market, be a little more selective, but also deploy more capital faster. Um, and it's been a, uh, I think it's been a, a really uh, successful run for us um, and continues to be. One note I'll make for your European audience, uh, origination in Europe is obviously very different. Um, the availability of, of information makes the role very different in Europe. Uh, companies, uh, for example, in the UK, publicly filing their financials with their, their taxes uh allows you to to plan or look at your target universe with a, just a wealth of data that we don't have here um so we can pick that up later if it's interesting but it's a very 
very different. You know, when I would go across the pond um, and meet with clients at Deal Nexus, uh, European origination is a, a little bit of a different ballgame and um, business development adds value, but it's a different approach to the market. Okay, so let, let, let's explore that. What, what's, do you think it's simpler from a perspective of, of European um, not doing discrediting, but do you think because of the data available, it makes it simpler? Does that make it more complex because you're, you're overkill with too much information? Um, I suppose you see the US model and obviously experienced in in uh, doing uh, data origination in Europe. Which one would you rather have, all that information or the US type uh, uh, lack of information? I, I guess it would be the latter. Uh, sorry, the first. It's funny. Uh, the one that asked me which I'd rather have, obviously, any investor, you want more information. It's a very different sales cycle um, or, or, or sort of cycle time in, in Europe versus the US. So if you're sitting in the UK and you know that you're looking for companies with, call it more than 10 million um, pounds of EBITDA, uh, you can go into the tax databases and, and you can pull that list up and you can narrow it by industry and you can do research and look at their website. And now your goal is to be in front of the owner of that business, uh, potentially years in advance of the decision to sell. Um, you want to cultivate a long-term relationship. Now, they'll still probably bring in an investment banker, an advisor, someone to help them sell the business and optimize value and potentially run a process. But you're planting your seeds, hopefully, directly with the owner. It's a different conversation um, and a much longer conversation. Now, in the US, obviously, we do that too. We do a lot of proprietary outreach. We talk to business owners on the regular. And yes, here it's a long sales cycle for those opportunities. It's a very similar sales cycle to what you see in Europe. For most deals, though, in the US, because there are so many companies and because it's really hard to distinguish a company with 15 million of EBITDA from a company with 50 million of EBITDA from a company with 500,000 of EBITDA, um, you end up the private equity community outsources a lot of that long-term relationship building to the investment banking community, uh, who in turn gets referrals from lawyers, wealth advisors, um, accountants, you name it. Those referrals come into the investment banks. They vet the opportunity. They prep it for sale. And so much of the job of business development in the U.S. is talking to intermediaries, talking to counterparties on the banking side, building those relationships. There are funds that askew that entirely and want to talk directly with corporate development departments about their uh, divestitures or want to talk to um, business owners directly and they build long-term databases and, and they look for proxies of the data to help them figure out size. For example, a lot of companies that invest in technology look at the number of employees on LinkedIn that a company might have to get a, a proxy for size. Um, in other sectors, you know, the number of employees an uh, industrial business has on LinkedIn, probably not a relevant indicator for, for the size of the company. Um, so it's, it's a, but when you talk about business development broadly, when you take a step back and say the function as it exists across private equity, um, that is the big difference between the U.S. And, and many countries in Europe is that you are doing a, you collectively business development is much more focused on banker relationships, whereas in Europe, it's more focused on building those long-term business owner relationships because you can pick your targets with a lot more accuracy. Sorry to interrupt here. Just a quick note to highlight our new sponsor, Grutter. 
The private equity market is rapidly shifting to a data-driven, proprietary deal sourcing standard. Grutter provides the window into over 7 million middle market private companies. Contact Grutter so you can access the market first. Request a demo at www.grutter.com. Now back to the podcast. So if you're looking at those intermediary relationships, you know, for our side, you think, well, do you know what? Yeah, the investment banks want to sell, uh, obviously want to support a process. You know, there's, God knows how many private equity firms have just released a blog with it, but I can't remember the number. But there's obviously a lot of private equity firms, all of them invest, of course, in the same space and would consider the same business. But it's a competitive landscape. How important are those relationships to... A, get in the door with these opportunities, B, be considered, you know, or, you know, C, just even have a, a, a seat, a, a, that kind of relationship to be able to close a deal um, for them to be aware. Is it just if they know who you are, you've got a chance of getting in or is it the, the warmer relationships are important? Just give us a perspective of, of how important that, that aspect is with, with the intermediaries. So that, that aspect is vital. And, there are a couple of, of pieces of having a, an intermediary relationship and, and making it work well. There's getting the look in the first place, which is about getting on the buyer's list and um, getting that buyer's list approved by the seller so that you can take a look at the, the business. Um, there's having a relationship with the intermediary where you can better understand the business and the company and sometimes the competitive dynamics and what needs to get done. Um, and then there's managing that relationship on an ongoing basis so that you have a re- repeatable process for building, running, talking to um, the market and, and that's seg- the intermediary segment of the market. Uh, each piece of the process is really important. Each piece is different. Um, Sometimes the best way to get on a buyer's list is to talk to the, the, the VP or the associate who may be closer to the actual building of it. Um, sometimes it's going in through, through an MD. Uh, we at Monomoy spend a lot of time tracking opportunities, uh, sometimes years before they actually come to fruition when a bank is pitching a deal or tells us about something that they're, they think could come up for sale down the road. We'll track those opportunities. We'll hopefully convert them um interactive funnel and and we see every variety of impact in our relationship sometimes um sometimes despite all of our best efforts someone's excited at us and we can't get in to something um sometimes we're not thought of for a deal for whatever reason and we have to leverage our relationship to get the guy or the gal's ear and say you know hey here's why we're a good buyer for this here's why we might be uh, you know, really competitive in, in this process. Um, and then when you're, once you're in something, uh, the ability to have, uh, the mind share to better understand the business. I mean, if you think about, um, you've ever been to, to, to the viewing of a house, um, you know, a real estate agent may spend a little bit of time with you. They may spend a lot of time with you. Sometimes when they spend a lot of time with you. They tell you things about the house that make it more interesting you didn't know, or maybe help you understand the fuller picture of the history or the maintenance or what needs doing. And you can be a more informed buyer. 
And it's the same thing with the bankers. If you have the relationship, you can be a more informed buyer. Sounds like a full-time full time job in itself, uh, Steve, to get that. Uh, it is. Those relationships, never mind the deal origination side. So if you've, okay, so we're, we're in with those relationships and, and having that. Obviously, I'm going to assume private equity, well, I know private equity investors will have good relationships with some where they're doing the, if you want to call it the 360, the full approach of deal origination, closing, everything else. How many relationships would you know would typically a deal origination professional hold um, you know across the sphere of intermediaries? That's a really interesting question, actually, and it's something that that I've been spending some time on, and my team has been spending some time on. And when I come up with the optimal answer, I'll let you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the. Um, and I'll elaborate on that. It's a really interesting question because you have some of the best BD efforts uh, in the country are one or two man band, and they seem to know everybody, right. and everybody knows that. Um, and I could I could sit here and, and reel off a list of names like that. Um, then you have firms. Uh, like Monomoy or Riverside Company, who have built out real teams and have said, no, we, we need to have more coverage uh, in order to have the depth of relationship. And I think we've, we've been, we've seen real ROI on building out the team and having uh, more relationships. Um, it, it depends to some extent on what your investment team is doing. So if your investment team is also doing a lot of sourcing and they're active and they're out there in the market, um, you know, you might be able to do a, a you could potentially have a very small team or one man uh, band that uh, is in many respects coordinating and supporting the investment team's organic efforts. And, doing blocking and tackling when the one of the deal teams or one of the leads is uh, is in the trenches doing a deal and so they're they're kind of there to 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 run interference to provide support mm-hmm. spot etc um some other firms um you know the investment team for one reason or another personality focus goals whatever it is um you know they, they don't necessarily like being out there in the market uh, and, you know, maybe they just want to work on, on building the perfect model and figuring out the, the true intrinsic value of the company. And that's okay. Uh, but you may need a larger business development effort to help those people interface with the market. So it, 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 it runs the gambit. And I, I, don't, I don't have a good answer for that question. I, I know people who I think have a thousand real relationships. And I think you could also make a very compelling argument that, you know, max a business development professional could should cover fifteen or twenty firms, um, and I don't think either of those is necessarily wrong. Depends on your uh, business. No, I appreciate that. And depends on the business, depends on the fund. And how do you, how do you? I mean, it might be a simple question, a simple answer actually, but I'm sure there's more detail here. How do you measure the success? So, if I'm a new managing partner, private or I'm a managing partner, private equity firm, I'm thinking, right, we want to do this. How do I measure the level of success we have? 
typical of anything in a business wants success instantly that's not going to happen with certainly in the us with intermediaries and you know even in the, in europe with the amount of data we have how how would you kind of measure success or how do you measure the success of things uh, currently so i view um I, I would view, I would view it the following way. Um, there are near-term immediate indicators that should show that your effort is is bearing fruit and is on the right track. And then there's the long-term, uh, the long-term proven success. Mm-hmm. Over the long term, capital deployment should increase. The rate of capital deployment and uh, the quality of capital deployment, so eventually returns, um, should increase. Figure two to four years uh, to see capital deployment go up and a typical hold period for your portfolio company uh, to see that capital deployment result in improved returns. Um, so that's the long-term proven metric for success. The only metric that actually matters. If you're not getting to those results after a couple of years, you need to reevaluate your efforts. Um, what are the, but that takes a long time. So what are your near-term indicators? Uh, if you're building a, a business development effort from scratch, and certainly when, when we started at, at Monomoy, uh, the thing that ticked up immediately was teasers in the door. Um, and that not every one of those teasers was a quality deal. Um, and for the first few months, just getting more looks, or tracking even what was coming in. Uh, that was a good indicator that we were on the right path. We were getting the message out to more people in the market. We were learning, we were refining our approach. And as we went from teasers in the door to more conversion to books, eventually more conversion to bids, um, you know, it takes longer, but you see over time, you see those, uh, those metrics phase in. So you wanna see improved quality. And then eventually, the sort of medium-term result, if I can say that, you know, you're not necessarily focused on, on volume. I think business development, bad business development is characterized by a, a, a relentless focus on top of the funnel volume. Um, eventually, you don't want to see the top of the, you may want to see the deal at the top of the funnel, but eventually you want to be getting more selective. And so you're, it's actually a good indicator when you start saying, you know what, we would have bid on that business six months ago. We would have bid on that business a year ago. Now, when I look at the rest of my funnel, it doesn't rate. It's not that interesting. Uh, and so this, I think, um, I, I think is, a, is another good kind of medium-term indicator if you start looking at businesses and saying, uh, that was interesting or would have been interesting before we had a wider view of the market, but today it's passed. That's phenomenal. And your investment team should be making those types of decisions and saying, we don't want to bother with this the way we would have once upon a time. But then BD should be making those decisions and saying, you know what, we're, we're, we're just going to, you know, we've looked at this, we understand what the firm wants. We, we know the criteria and, um, you know, maybe you sanity check yourself if you're on the bubble, but over time you should get more and more confident and say, you know what, this deal is not for us. 
and the results um, the results should prove out with a more efficient use of investment team time, and again, ultimately better returns and more capital employed. Interesting, interesting. So well, it all just comes down from moving away from scarcity to plethora of opportunities, and therefore your standards will rise on the uh, on the back of that. And therefore, you you know, you're saying there that there's going to be deals that you looked at. They go, we'd probably bid on that, but now it's that's not good enough. We've got so many options. These these are better. These are the ones we really want to secure, uh, which uh, is obviously you know only going to uh, return capital faster and, uh, and and drive better performance for uh, for LPs. That's exactly right. Okay. So what what advice, you've shared a lot here, but is there any additional advice that you would share, Stephen, for kind of small mid-cap firms to increase their deal origination, obviously, other than actually putting in separating that as a, as a division? Um, you know, this, this seems so basic, but uh, take notes. <laughs> the number of times... I walk by, uh, I, I see, you know, we go to conferences. It doesn't matter if it's a big industry show. Uh, for example, go to the big auto aftermarket show every year, or, or if it's, um, uh, or if it's an ACG type conference. So, you know, a deal sourcing oriented conference between private equity investment banking or anything else. The number of times that I see, um, PE folks who I recognize, who I know, and they're not taking notes. And I know what their schedule looks like. They've got back-to-back meetings um, and they don't necessarily have a note taker with them. Um, that's, uh, you're going to forget a lot of valuable details. Uh, it is not uncommon for, uh, to look back at the end of a busy day and say, oh, I completely forgot about this call. That was a really interesting tidbit or there's a really interesting lead on there. Um, I was talking with the, uh, there was a deal that we we ran uh, very hard at last year. Uh, unfortunately, broke against us, but but we had our you know that was a deal that uh, someone on my team went back through their notes and said, "Oh, this is the one." At the end of an extraordinarily busy day, and and proceeded to do a lot of bird dogging to kind of get around it. So it's a um, it's it's so basic. Um, but people, people don't do it, and I understand the desire to focus on the here and the now and not to deal with paperwork. But it's uh, it's invaluable. Very good, uh, very good piece of advice. So moving away from data origination to a little bit of kind of talent, what do you um, what what three aspects do you believe make a top performing individual? So I'll say um, a couple things. Uh, first off, I mean grit. Uh, the willingness to just knock your head against the wall and work hard and get something done. There's no substitute for it. Uh, there's plenty of research that shows how important grit is. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the lessons, one of, something that one of my mentors taught me just by doing it was that sometimes it's not worth it to try to figure out a clever way to make the busy work go away you know, or the manual or the data entry, whatever it is, sometimes you just have to sit there and do it. And, um, and the grit, the willingness to stick to it, the willingness to just drive through that, uh, there's no substitute for it. The, the next thing in my mind is passion. Um, 
you know, you can have all the grit in the world, but if, if you're not motivated, if you don't have fire in the belly, uh, and, and for most of us, if you don't, you don't love what you're doing, um, very hard to succeed. And then I'll, I'll say this is, I think this is important generally, but it is uniquely important in BD. You got to be quick on the uptake. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a, uh, an essential need in business development where you're talking to people all the time and you're diving from topic to topic, you better be able to pick up really quickly on what's being said to you. You've got to be able to learn mid conversation. Um, I, uh, I occasionally use, a, uh, an interview question that's, that's designed to be kind of totally outside the box and, and to see, do people pick up on, on, uh, you know, have they done this in the past? And also, how do they respond to, to a question out of left field? I'm not going to reveal it on this podcast because I don't want to come up with a substitute. But uh, it's a uh, quickness on the uptake. There, there's no substitute for it, at least not in PD. Okay, we'll leave that as a mysterious one to, to prepare your uh, interviewees then um, to get there. So what do, you, what do you love about private equity industry and what do you dislike about it, Stephen? Uh, I love the, I love the people. Um, I find PE to be full of fascinating, intelligent, interesting, um, uh, individuals, some of whom are total characters and a ton of fun. Uh, some of whom are just, you know, quiet and hardworking. Um, but I have found it to be a, uh, a great place to to work and build relationships and be in the market. And, you know, as I think back, I mean, back in my expert network days, I had clients who were on the private market side, so private credit, private equity. And I had clients who were on the hedge fund side. And uh I, I'll I'll take I'll take private markets any day. Excellent. Excellent. Uh what do I dislike about it? Uh we don't have standardized NDAs like the debt markets do. Um, and we really need them. <laughs> one of the, one of the little painful tasks of, of sourcing deals is dealing with the NDAs. And, um, uh, uh, I, I, I gather from my friends in the debt market, so they have a click through standardized thing that everyone's agreed to. And for whatever reason, we've never been able to get that in, in private equity land. Well, collective decisions in private equity might be a bit of a, uh, a difficult move. Um, but obviously the debt market's managed it. One, one of my one of my mentors uh, uh, tells me that that once upon a time he he uh, he took a run at trying to to get something set up uh, and told me he would need he would need several drinks to tell me how that went. So, all right, okay. Well, obviously it didn't work out. So uh, um, painful it didn't experience. work out. Painful experience, no doubt. So, what educational uh, resources? What would you recommend that others in the industry check out? Um, so I, I think, you know, there's, well, it depends on, on where you're, where you're coming from. Um, you know, I think there's a wealth of, um, of information now about business development and about private equity, uh, through podcasts like yours, um, through resources like you know, newsletters, like the hub, um, uh, and out there in, in, um, 
uh, in the world. Uh, one particularly interesting font that I've, I've been able to draw on is the search fund community. So a lot of private equity firms think they're really good at deal sourcing. Um, but if you go hang around uh, with the search fund program, people at Stanford Business School, Harvard Business School, U Chicago, um, where they're prepping people who are going to come out of their MBA programs and spend two years exclusively looking for one company to buy and they get one shot and they have to get it right. And they're going to buy a small business and there are a lot of targets. Um, those folks are really good at sourcing. And one of the real privileges of my experience with DealNexus was um, getting DealNexus picked up by the entrepreneurship through acquisition class at Harvard. And, and we worked with uh, uh, IE as well in Spain. Um, but uh, we, we actually, you know, I interacted with a lot of the students and, and some of the people who worked with uh, the professors and the level of, of kind of data that they're collecting because all the searchers send back uh, their experience and, and examples of, you know, letters they've written to business owners and emails and scripts they use on calls. And I mean, they're collecting this effort across hundreds of searchers, um, some of whom go proprietary outreach, some of whom rely on sort of smaller brokers and intermediaries. Um, it is a, it is a wealth of information and a really interesting community to spend some time around. And so, you know, there are resources there. There's some, a bunch of blogs that cover search funds. There's a, each of the business schools does a search fund conference. So if you're, if you're looking for an out of the box suggestion for the day, um, and you want to learn about origination, uh, there's some really cool stuff, uh, in, in search fund land. Thank you very much for uh, certainly sharing that. I've not heard of it, so I'll, I'll even take a look myself. Um, so if anybody wants to reach out, post this podcast, Stephen, how best do they uh, get in touch with you, please? Uh, my, my email and phone number are, are on the bottom of my website, so it's, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. So um, uh, Stephen Madsen on LinkedIn or, or smadsen at mcpfunds.com. Perfect. We'll, we'll stick that in uh, in the show notes for anybody to reach out. Well, Stephen, you've given us a, an absolute deal origination um, overhaul there, so I really appreciate everything you've shared um and thank you very much for joining us my pleasure alex thank you for having me as always thank you very much for joining us and of course should you ever need support with private equity professionals or portfolio executive hiring please do reach out to me at raw selection but till the next time keep smashing it and thank you very much for listening thank you for listening to the private equity podcast on www.raw-selection.com 